1: Hello, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our film review, discussion, and recommendation show here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. With me, my partner in crime, my butch to my Sundance... I think every episode, I'm just going to come up with another way to, to uh, introduce that. But As long as you're responsible <laughs> with coming up with it, not me, sounds good. My co-host, Chris. So, Chris, how Hello. are you doing today? I'm doing good. Good. Doing good. Well, today's show, we have uh, several things lined up to discuss. First off, we're going to be uh, providing a review of Christopher Nolan's latest World War II epic, Dunkirk, followed by a review of The Big Sick, starring Kumali Nanjali, then we'll be moving into some movie news and discussions about some things that are popping up in the, uh, the news uh, headlines regarding movie productions and upcoming films. And then we'll cap off the show with our recommendations for the episode. That's where Chris and I both have a film that we are going to recommend to you, the audience, maybe worthwhile checking out, especially if you've got a couple hours to kill over the weekend, maybe a good one to check out, hopefully one you can find online or very easily uh, from your own uh, comfort of your own home. So Chris, that's the rundown for today's show. Sound good? Yes. Let's go ahead and get started then. We're gonna jump right into our first review, which is the latest from director Christopher Nolan. It is Dunkirk.
0: Where are we going? Dunkirk. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there we'll die.
1: practically see it from here. What? Home. Christopher Nolan is a director and also a writer of this film, which I think is one of the first films he's made that was just, he was the only sole writer. Normally he either has his brother, his
2: brother yeah. or others
1: involved, but this is a film, Dunkirk. He's the director and writer. Christopher Nolan, you may know from other films, such as uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, uh, he's also well-known for Interstellar, well-known for um, Inception, one of my favorite films, The Prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, let me tell you a little bit about the, the situation going into see Dunkirk. I have okay. a 10-year-old son. Okay. Uh, but as a 10-year-old son, he is, I feel, much, much wiser beyond his age. He is a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Oh. He actually knows Christopher Nolan is a director. <laughs> he has a certain type of movies, and my son really likes Christopher Nolan movies. Okay. We actually watched The Prestige together the other night, and he loves it. He really, really got into the film. Okay, so he was actually excited about going to see Dunkirk. Now I was a little trepidatious. I'm like, okay, uh, Dunkirk is a war film. Yeah, Christopher Nolan doesn't make the lightest films in the world. They can be kind of heavy, kind of intense. But you know, I, I did my parenting debate in my <laughs> head, and I thought, no, you know, my my ten year old really is respecting the craft of making these films. That's what he's interested in. Okay. So I want him to see this film as it's crafted. Um, we did go to the late show and my 10 mm. year old did start to fall asleep a little bit, but I, I don't think it was any indication of his enjoyment of the film. He enjoyed <laughs> right. the five, six of the film. You
2: that didn't he saw. feed him an espresso or something. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no.
1: My parenting skills did not waver that. Much. Okay. So, um, But what I thought was interesting is I talked to both my boys that that saw it. I also have a teenager who went to go see it with me as well. And my teenagers raved that it is now one of his favorite films. He loved it. Even the 10-year-old, sleeping through some of it, said, I really liked it. It it was a little tough to follow at times what was going on, Hmm. but I really did enjoy it. Both of them looking at it from a purely technical standpoint, technically made, they felt like it was a really well-made film. Here's my question to you. Christopher Nolan, I think, has a great reputation for making technically well-made films. One area he always gets hammered a little bit is his use of characters, actually developing characters to a point where you actually feel like you can relate or know the characters as well. There's always been an argument about whether he puts more emphasis on the technical aspects and the production of the film than he does letting characters breathe and be relatable, and being people that we want to somehow know more about. It's no secret Dunkirk is a film about World War II. Allied soldiers from Belgium, British Empire, and France are all surrounded by the German army. And basically, a lot of these soldiers are trying to just get off the beach. And the whole movie has to do with these soldiers and their efforts to be able to leave and go back home. Many of them British soldiers, a line in the movie is they can look out in the ocean and they can almost just about see land their home back there. So it's all about them trying to remove. We follow three kind of interconnected storylines to help tell this story. And there's a little bit of playing with time that Christopher Nolan does. One story spans a certain amount of time. Another story spans a different period. It's just an interesting Christopher Nolan put together film. My question to you, though, do you feel like that the characters in Dunkirk uh, and the way that Christopher Nolan portrayed them and let them be uh, seen and explored in the film, do you think... He handled that in a way that made the film successful, or do you feel like his 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 use of characters and the way he developed his characters may have been a detriment to this film? And then you can lead into whether you actually like the film or not. But I'm cur- I'm curious about your thoughts on the characters and the use of personalities and people in the film itself. It's a wow. really big setup. I apologize yeah, that, that for that.
2: Is, yeah, that's that's a lot to chew on. Right. Um, well, I'll start off saying. The characters, and also touching on something you talked about with the different time frames and how he plays mm-hmm. with time, I can see people being put off by the different time frames mm-hmm. and the way the characters are or are not developed mm-hmm. in this film. Mm-hmm. I can see that being a big distancing element for people. And I think from what you're saying, the complaints that are often railed against Nolan about how he cares more about the slickness of a movie or
1: Plot points than he does about actual characters. More development. about editing and pacing right. and all that than it is about knowing the characters. I can
2: see those same people lobbying those same complaints against mm-hmm. this film. Sure. Um, I will say, I, you know, we've talked before when we've seen other uh, war movies mm-hmm. that I'm kind of, that genre has kind of played out for me. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in seeing Dunkirk only because of Christopher Nolan. Okay. Because he usually does movies that are interesting to me. I just like him as a director. And I feel like, yeah, Dunkirk, the way he chose to do... Basically, he doesn't do a lot of character development. It's mm-hmm. what we're kind of dancing around. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. True. There is some, but it's not like extended scenes of conversations between characters. There's no real
1: exposition going on either. No. It's basically just... They're saying the minimal amount of words they have to be say, it said to keep moving forward.
2: And it was jarring to me at first, you know, they, they're basically three different, three different, uh, threads that you're following. You're Mm -hmm. following a beach thread, you're following a fighter pilot in the air, and you're following people coming across on boats. Those are the three things you're following. Mm -hmm. And at first, you know, I got that. He was taking us to different places, but I didn't quite catch on at first of the, the time frames, right. but it slowly made sense. And I was fine with it. I'd like to actually revisit it now that I know kind of more the setup and see if it, it may detract from the movie because it may not be as interesting. Like, I wonder how mm. it would play a second time.
1: You know, I think what's interesting about the whole time, he lays it out for us at the beginning of the film. Just nobody catches it.
2: I, well, I don't understand it. When I, I saw it. I saw it. So he gives the
1: locations yeah. and he says, our uh, it he gives, locations. It's just like a title, like the one on the ground, the, the guys on the beach, said mole right and said week like one week right then you had uh the gentleman uh, riding his boat to come to dunkirk and it said one day right okay then you had the the people in the air and i forget what the title was but maybe it was just air and it said like 2 hours or something right. like that right so nobody knew what those times meant when you saw them up on the cards like it didn't resonate that okay what i'm about to see story wise is going to take one week right but that's what he was trying to lay out. It's just one of those things where it didn't really kind of hit you until about two-thirds of the way through the movie. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, things are kind of overlapping. And I, I get that everything is kind of convening on one point now. Right. Um It was an interesting style. It was. It. But, but you're can... right. I You know, going through it, it, it's not painfully obvious uh until much, much later in the film.
2: You think all he's setting up is that these are three different places. Right. And like – Okay, I get it because that's usually what is set up, yeah when you see tiles on the screen. it says you know France, post office, mm-hmm. you know, pizzeria, like you know that these are different pla you know whereas here, yeah, he was doing a little bit more than that um that all being said, um you know, kind of like you were funneling towards, and then did I like the movie? Yes, I did, um I liked it, okay. and I think because of those reasons where there wasn't a lot of character development there was just enough but it was more of an experiential movie Mm -hmm. that i think i responded to it and the fact that he did play with time i think in the end made it more entertaining because as you began to realize that he was playing with time kind of like their arrival type thing in that movie where they played with time it made you kind of appreciate some things as Mm -hmm. you caught up with what was going on so um I really, yeah, I, I really liked it. It, you know, held up to my expectations. I think I'd have to go back and like, you know, kind of reassess Christopher Nolan. But if it's not my favorite of his movies, it's probably next to one of my favorites. It's definitely up there at the top. And just because I would encourage people to go see this movie if you have any interest at all go see this movie in the theater. Yeah. I did not see it in IMAX. I did not see that. Right. Um, I actually didn't even see it in like a big D presentation type theater. I just saw it in a regular movie theater, but still having it be that big really was an experience so much better than if I would have watched it at home. Yeah. And I felt like watching this movie, which you don't get this. I don't get this feeling often. It was an experience and it was something that you could kind of say like, yes, this was a movie that was important to see. It was like it was a landmark, if not in film, it was a landmark for this director. It's like mm. this is this is kind of like a line he's drawing in the sand, which is interesting to me because he's never done anything based on true events. All mm. his other films have been straight out fiction. Mm. This was based on historical event. What made him decide to do this? I don't know. Um maybe he just got the idea of how to tell it and he's like, "Oh, okay, I can put my Nolan spin yeah. on a biographical movie." The
1: Nolan spin. Right? Yeah, I uh I did really like the film as well. Um it's up there in the Christopher Nolan uh list of films for me. Not my favorite, but it's close. It's in the top half of those films. Uh I I think the thing for me is it felt like a much tighter Christopher Nolan film than ones we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of especially the Batman films, I think, especially as the, the trilogy went on, it almost became more of a let's see how much we can put in a film and how many different elements and scenes and changes and editing we can do uh, to pack in two and a half hours of, of, of content. And it especially by the time the third Batman film came around, I think it was just bloated. It just had too much going on. It was hard to focus here. You could argue Dunkirk is following three just very you know, different paths yeah but the way he weaves them together and the way it all takes place all within you know basically a mile of each other i mean they're all happening right there in that same basic area most for the most part i think it was really interesting i think it was a well 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 crafted film for him the fact it's probably one of his shorter films too is only an hour and 45 minutes which for when i heard that a christopher nolan film i thought okay that's that's unusual that's not like him yeah uh, and i think it pays off i think if he had tried to do what he's done in other films and it kind of kept adding more and more and more and just kept stretching it out I think it really would have been weary after a while I think it was just the right time technically it was a beautiful movie I mean I'm talking cinematography um, the use I'm sure there had to be some use of CGI but I'll be damned if I could figure out where that was I'm
2: assuming a lot of it on the beach
1: probably so but it never seemed like CGI at all and the air I'm a huge sucker for great airplane Scenes, you know, flying scenes. And I think some of the aerial combat scenes in this were amazing. You know,
2: interesting. You call that out. Yeah. Um, because when we went and we had scenes of, you know, aerial thing, I typically, I guess it's my resentment against top gun. I can't stand air dog fighting movies. Oh, wow. I think they are boring. Oh. I just, it's all these like jerk camera pans, like yes. swishing around this movie. I really, liked the stuff in the well, air well it was about as it,
1: realistic as you could get visually visually And I thought it. it
2: was I thought it was, looked realistic, but I just really enjoyed it. And it was easy for me to follow. Whereas like, you know, other movies, looking at you Top Gun, it's all this like frantic jerky camera, wow. where what's going on? And this was just and even the sound design mm-hmm. in the planes, the sound design for the whole movie. Yeah. But the in the air a lot of the sound design was really cool, how you could hear the plane's motor, you could hear the wind. You just all these different things I thought was really added to the effect of the movie.
1: Um, I do think the characters get relatively short, short shift in the film, but I didn't think it was a problem. I think yeah, we, we know enough about the characters to understand the situation they're in, and that's all we really needed to know. Um, I didn't need any more backstory. I didn't need any more character development, although I will say it's really, really light in this film. I mean, basically, we're introduced to a guy in the first couple minutes of the film and, you know, you like you like he said, there's no exposition. Nope. There's no, hey, who are you? And tell me about yourself. And why are you here? Or what's going on? It's just two, when, when two people meet early in the film, two characters who kind of follow along, no words are said. It's just, oh, hi, I see you. And you see me. Now let's go figure out if we can get off this beach together without saying a word. And it's just that's how the whole film felt. Is like everything's just kind of understood and assumed between people. There's no need to spell it out for us. And I was okay with that. I didn't need it spelled out. I could I see it but I could know?
2: see people being bothered by it, and no. I think that's completely valid. But like you, that's what made this film, to me, stand out and different from every other war movie I'd ever seen and made it more experiential and almost kind of like, just like war is disconcerting, you have to kind of slowly figure out what's going on and, you know— sometimes they say nothing because there's nothing to say. Yeah. It's just like, let's True. get through this. Let's muddle through. And I, I yeah. And actually I was wondering, when we gave a news item about this movie, obviously months and months mm-hmm. ago, we said how Kenneth Branagh was on it and Mark Rylance was on it and Tom Hardy was on it, but they weren't going to be major characters. True. And it was like interesting. And so I liked the way the casting was done in this movie because basically of the three timelines, they were anchored by people that, Nolan knew could pull weight. Mark Rylance is in the boat, mm-hmm. and he kind of anchors that. Mm-hmm. Hardy's in the air as one mm-hmm. of the pilots; he
1: anchors that. You get Panth Branagh is kind of a commander, commander, but his his role was fairly minimal, and he's just there to help kind of give some broader perspective on what was going on. Of
2: the, of the three actors I mentioned, he definitely has the shortest yeah. amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to cite a weak portion of this film. I would say kind of the guys that you mentioned, the soldiers on the beach, some of that maybe fell a little bit short of some of the other scenes for me. As far as impact, not because of what was happening, because they have quite an ordeal. But unfortunately, um, did you know who Harry Styles was going into this movie? Yes, I did. I wish I didn't know who he Mm -hmm. was, because that was distracting for me. And there again, maybe it's because a lot of the press that he received and like mm-hmm. girls were showing up to screenings screaming outside or wanting to know if he lived or died. Like apparently that didn't wow. happen at my screening, <laughs> but just the fact that the others, except for those big key actors I've, I've talked about, the others, the soldiers are like faces. Yeah. And so that was my part in this movie is they were supposed to be unknown mm-hmm. faces and they were, except for him. And yeah. I, he really, to me, and maybe it could all be me and all mental, but he kind of stuck out and I wish he would have just been a face in the crowd. Uh, unfortunately.
1: For me. And that's a personal thing. I think, you know, my parents went to go see it. They didn't know who Harry Styles okay. was. There's no impact. whatsoever. If we know him or we've seen a picture of him, we know he's a famous singer. It's like that automatically puts an extra slant on it. I hate that it's there too, but I think I was able to kind of, Oh, there he is. He's you now seen. <laughs> okay. So he's in the movie now. Got it. Check. Move on. And I kind of forgot about it after sure. that point. So, um, I- I'll say with you, I think of the three, yeah, I, I was le- l- the least interested in the-, the young guys on the beach. Okay. Because I felt like that was probably the most no- typical Nolan-like sprawling storyline. I mean, it's like it starts in one place and they go to another location. Mm-hmm. Something happens at that location. Then they get moved to another location. And they're just kind of constantly in transition, which I understand. That's part of the story. But- sure. I don't feel like I really got settled with them very well. I didn't feel like I got to know them very well, and I didn't feel like I really felt as 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 in depth in their plight as I did the other two stories. Mark Rylance on the boat. Mark Rylance is really good as always, and yeah. Killian I really Murphy's there too. Killian Murphy, yep. And I thought their storyline was really interesting. Yeah. Just they save a, a pilot who got shot down, but then there's some incidents that happen on the boat, and there's some real moral decisions and judgments that have to be made about how to proceed. Right. And I thought it was a really interesting kind of morality tale there. Then you've got the air and I thought the air was really good, even though we really just follow one guy, you know, it's, uh, we're watching Tom Hardy. He's, mm-hmm. he's pretty much the only person up in the air for most of the movie that we're watching. And he says very little, you know, but yet we can, we understand what he's trying to figure out. We understand what he's trying to do. And that's what was fun about it is just following him and then seeing how his story is really matching in with everything else going on on the ground and in the water. Um, So I really enjoyed when they cut to those two storylines. When they came back to the beach, guys, it's like, okay, maybe this will start to get a little bit more interesting, a little bit more uh, uh, something to watch. And it never really did. So all told, the whole movie worked for me. It's just, yeah, if I had to pick out a weakness for me, it would be I felt like the beach activity or the the guys – it was just really tough to follow sometimes or really tough to feel like I was really feeling what they were feeling hmm. as much as I felt in the other two situations. So, okay.
2: Yeah. So, so both of us, if we had to pick a weakness, sounds like we're kind of pointing to the beach thing. My problem was that Harry Styles is involved mm-hmm. with that. Not your problem, but you're saying just as far as being as I guess, engaged. The problem for me, okay, well,
1: let me get a little more specific without sure. spoiling. The fact is, you know, we, we we get introduced to a bunch of young guys that all look very similar, and that's that's realistic. That's realistic. I get that. Oh, I've heard the concern. Okay, yeah. yeah briefly, so, yeah, sure.
2: Um, when the film started off, I didn't think anything, but as the film kept going on, I'm like, what is the deal? It looks like everybody has black shoe polish rubbed in their hair so that mm-hmm. everybody has the same hair color. Mm-hmm. Now, every once in a while, when you would flash to like the boat with Mark Rylance, you'd see a thing. But it seems like every single soldier on the beach had black hair. Mm-hmm. And that really... Well,
1: it made it a little tough. Because kind of here. maybe another reason why the whole thing kind of turned into a blur for me. It's like, okay, I'm introduced to one guy... He meets the second guy. We're following them through all these trials and tribulations. Then there becomes a critical scene about maybe two-thirds of the way through the movie where a whole group of these guys have now banded together. Yeah. Are stuck in a spot where it's a very difficult spot. They're not sure if they should be able to leave that spot or risk getting shot or not. They're very concerned. And there's a, con- there's a possibility that one of them may be a traitor or somebody may be an enemy who's kind of infiltrated their group. At that point, it was that should have been an extremely tense moment. But yet, because I felt like it was this big blob of people that <laughs> I didn't know one from another as much. Right. It was hard for me to have any sense of drama. Oh, because but you
2: knew which one Harry Styles was.
1: <laughs> I didn't know which one Harry Styles was. <laughs> but I didn't know the one that they claimed was like a, you know, they said, well, he never talks and this and that. And I'm like, it, has he never talked? I'm not really sure because I, I, I couldn't really follow to see. So that there could have been some more drama amped up in that storyline. And I felt like they lost some opportunities to do that.
2: I Um. have a comment about that, Mm -hmm. but it's a spoiler.
1: Okay. Well, we'll we'll save it for a little later. Yeah. I, uh, I just felt like the, the group of young boys that are on the beach and banding together, there are some ways to make that a little bit more hit the dramatic notes. I think they were trying to go for, and I think they missed some opportunities there, but I feel like it was more than made up for, by the other two storylines. I mean, the, let me talk about the pacing and the sound of this film. Sure, because it's going very slow for the first half. It's a very slow movie,
2: and didn't bother me. No, no, not me at which either. You but know. it was
1: very. I agree. You know, it just kind of was going at a very certain pace. But I noticed that the sound, the, the the music, the score was almost like this ticking clock. Oh yeah, almost the entire movie. And it, you didn't even notice it in the first 20, 30 minutes. But about the halfway point, I'm just like, okay, yeah. It is that that sound is actually ratcheting things up as mm-hmm. we go, and it becomes a lot more obvious in the latter half of the film. The latter half of the film is very very tense, very very. I don't I say it's fast paced; it's not fast motion, fast cutting. It's just things are happening at a much much more furious pace, and it's like things are starting to come together. So I thought the pacing and the way they timed this movie out was great. It just it really built you up, and the ending was an ending. I mean, it's like when everything kind of crescendoed; it wasn't. You know, it it the movie ended. There were some resolutions on all three fronts to some degree. And at least we knew where things stood and I felt like everything was earned at the end. Everything you're
2: saying I completely agree with, and that's why I think this is, is much like when we reviewed Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. and I said that is Tarantino's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Not that he won't make other good movies, but th- I think I doubt he'll make one this good. Same way I felt when Tim Burton made Big Fish. Yeah, um, that's how I feel after this. All right. I'm sure Nolan will make other good movies, but I he I think he'll be challenged because it just seemed like all the elements, the story, his direction, the editing, the music, the sound design, it just everything was clicking. I'll yeah. say too. I mentioned how, for me, I really responded to this movie. I don't really care for war movies because of the no dialogue aspect, mm-hmm. because of the time that he played with, which is something Nolan has done in the past, like Inception, so like that. Um, I also responded to the fact that for a war movie, mm-hmm. they didn't focus on battles.
1: Oh, no. There was and no that is something – okay, granted, there is a
2: dogfight in the air, but yeah. it's not like bang,
1: bang, shoot the It's a up, very like, isolated right. you know, one or two planes dogfight. Uh, there's no battles. So there's, there's no, no – like.
2: Co- there's definitely no land combat with armies rushing at each yeah. other, body parts blowing up, like which is a part of war. I get it. But I am so numb to that.
1: This and is because a whole different of, perspective. And it's
2: it. a whole different perspective, and I responded to it a lot –
1: more. Yeah, I agree. So it just made it very unique. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, I will say one little technical caveat, and this is, this is really just for Christopher Nolan. So, you know, anybody else, <laughs> you can turn off, not Everybody listen, skip out. ahead for a little bit. Not Christopher, to. I know you're listening. Let me just kind of pass along a quick little note to you. I, I'm sure that most of the problem with this is my ears. My ears are, I agree, not the best in the world. I sometimes have a harder time hearing things, or sometimes things are not as clear as they could be. I, your films, though, tend to go a little more muddled on on dialogue and a little more just sometimes harder to make out what people are saying. You know, Dark Knight Rises, Bane. Oh my gosh, that was like horrible. Like you could not make out what this guy was saying. And at the time. Tom Hardy's mouth was covered again in this movie. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I just think clarity of dialogue, even though I know this film had very little dialogue, the dialogue that was there, I do feel like, just from a technical standpoint, there's something you could do to just make it more overt and clear. And I know you want to make it sound very natural. You want a very natural environment, but still people got to hear what the words are saying. If you're going to want them to listen to you.
2: See, I, I hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would definitely, you know, dark night, a lot of stuff by Baines muddle. You know, but I think that's there again. It's one of that. Not only do we not have a lot of dialogue, but when we did, catching entire phrases wasn't really important and i kind of respond to that in this movie because with any other epic war movie any other movie that's trying to be important that's trying to garner attention that's trying to have oscar clips yes they have to have dramatic scenes where they say these really important things sure. and they, it means a lot and with this no oh no no
1: i don't need and a, so
2: no i know yeah. you, I, but i'm just saying like it just that was part of it is just that you know, you catch things here and there, and it doesn't really matter. I'll Good. say the one line, mm-hmm. not even the one word, that had to be clear. And this is why he got his paycheck. This is why he was there. It has to do with a facial twitch of Kenneth Branagh, and then him saying one word. Yeah, right. And I will not re- reveal what that word was. So I know what it is. But that right there, I was like, "Whoa!" And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was amazing, yeah. and I'm like, "Okay." And that was as clear as
1: anything when he no, said that. I'm, I'm with you. So I, I just, again, Christopher, you're listening. Just you know, <laughs> work with your your audio engineer and say, "Hey, can we just can we just clear up the the dialogue just a little bit more than than what we normally do?"
2: That's all I'm asking. I can, for. I can see you being disappointed and a little irritated, maybe. But you you admit that it didn't.
1: Distract from you knowing what was going on. on. I still was able to follow along. And after a while, I did realize, yeah, the dialogue Dialogue is not really that important. So I don't need to pay attention to it. But I'm just saying, it's just a little director tick. I love everything (laughs) else you're doing right now, man. Just just focus on the audio engineering, just a little bit on dialogue. That's all. Um, So that's Dunkirk. Sounds like we're both very high on the movie, very positive. Do you have some other things you want to call out for it? I'm going to give my last.
2: Pat on the back to Nolan. Not that he okay. needs any more because obviously I'm pretty high on the film. Sounds like you are too. Yeah. Without spoiling anything,
1: mm-hmm.
2: opening shot of the film. Yes. And
1: closing. Next close to last shot, shot of, yeah. well,
2: I'll say s- some final shots on the beach. Yeah. Amazing, yeah, no, I agree. Amazing.
1: You're talking about I can say in the opening because it's in the trailer. Oh, okay. Guys walking down the street in a deserted town that's like a war torn town, and there's like flyers falling from the sky. They say you're surrounded. It. It's basically, right there, that flyer tells you that's the premise of the movie. Right yep. there, you you know what's going on right now just by reading that flyer. So I thought that was a nice touch. And then yeah, I won't say the last shot that you're talking about either, but it's a really cool shot. A good one. It's good. Well, it's actually the two shots. There's one in motion. Yeah. And then there's one with fire. I'll oh say. yeah. 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 Those, both of those shots are just, whoa, that's really cool. So yeah. It was very nice. I got it.
2: I agree. And I think to sentimentality, a lot of times at the conclusion of war movies, a yeah. conclusion of many movies, but yeah. war movies, but they're really trying to move you to an emotion and they're trying to make you feel certain. And I really felt like this was earned. Yeah. Sometimes in other war movies, I'm sorry. I'll throw, throw saving, saving Private Ryan under the bus. Because of the bookends, you feel like they're really just, you know, hammering it too hard and trying yeah. too hard. Oh, yeah. Really tugging at the heartstrings. This, I feel like they were there. And maybe in some of the other storylines in the film, not specifically the beach storyline that mm-hmm. we're referencing, maybe people feel like. But I, I felt like it was all very steady and even handed. No, I, I don't feel I, I like completely it was agree. I Never like manipulative. Never right.
1: manipulative. I, I will say this is probably right now. It's my third favorite Nolan. No, no the third or fourth favorite Nolan film. I still really, and my other choices are more personal choices. The Prestige, I just love the story of The Prestige so much, even though I think Nolan doesn't tell the story as effectively as he could. I feel like there's almost way too much playing with time to make it enjoyable. And I think this, the book was even better this is than a, the movie.
2: Did you hear that, guys? Hmm? Alan read this book before I did. he saw the movie. It
1: was one book I read in the last several years. <laughs> And the book was so good. The movie was. was a little bit of a letdown, but the, still the movie's still so good. Interstellar, I still really like, I know, Chris, you do not I need to uh, revisit it. I really still like Interstellar. But it suffers the same problem. It 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 tries to do too much and go too far hmm. and pack in way too many elements. That that's why I was so I found Dunkirk so refreshing. Batman Begins is just a personal favorite of mine. I just think that was just the perfect quote, superhero movie, unquote. So, you know, Batman Begins, The Prestige, I will say personal favorites of mine, better sure. than Dunkirk. Interstellar, I'm sure if I watch Dunkirk again, I'd probably like it better than Interstellar, but it's right in that same neighborhood. Regardless, those top three or four, I feel like is the best stuff no one's done. And granted, you know, there's not that many other films left, but this is definitely in the top half for me. And it is saying you're saying it's probably your favorite one. Now, so
2: I think, yeah. you know, it's definitely, definitely riding pretty high, but it's all biased because it's a pretty fresh feeling for me. Right. Cause I just recently saw the film. So with, it's really time, interesting that, with time, with time, with the rewatch, yeah. how will it sell out? Well?
1: I thought it was really interesting that you and I both don't have the dark night really terribly high on the Nolan list as much. Uh, because, you know, that's one that kind of beloved by a lot of people a lot of people feel like not only is it the best superhero movie ever made, but they, a lot of people feel like it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. I think it's good, but... Uh, it is it is
2: a good movie, and I would never say it's not. But if you're ranking movies, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different. It's word games, whether you think it's his best film or whether you personally yeah. enjoy it. And Dark Knight, I think it's a really good film, but that movie, was for me, was so overshadowed by the death of Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw it, it just, I couldn't help but think about that. And it was just striking. Plus the sound design. And that's one of the first or in a while, like other movies that important, but the sound design and the score in that movie, how it was just like tense. The entire mm-hmm. movie had this like grating kind of like violin going yeah. like this groaning and stuff, man. And that, so it made it not a fun experience. You
1: know? It's definitely not a Which, fun experience, right. but um I will say it's a good movie. I, know, just, it totally I just is. think, you know, it's, it's ledger's performance that really stands out and that not to say that that carries the movie because the movie's strong even without his parts, but it definitely makes it trans um, transcends the movie to a higher level. I just still say, I I still think Batman begins is the best of the three personally. I just think it's a better constructed movie um, top to bottom. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that's Dunkirk. We're both effusing praise on it. You know, all we're doing right now is quibbling about, (laughs) <laughs> How great it is. <laughs> one right. says it's really great. One says it's pretty darn great. Pretty so good, just yeah. little minor differences. But that is Dunkirk. It is playing in a lot of places and will be, I'm sure, for a little while. Um, and we do definitely recommend check it out. And also the fact it's a PG-13 movie. I, 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 I got to say that was actually a surprise for Christopher Nolan to make a war movie and it be PG-13. I don't think I saw a drop of blood in the whole movie. Ah, uh, Yeah. Well, well, there is one, there is some. There's one moment. But right. it's very slight yeah and considering it's a a quote war movie and to be as bloodless as it is i think was pretty impressive so Anyway, yeah, um, that's Dunkirk, and we recommend you check it out. Let's move on to our second film review, which is the film titled The Big Sick. I have to tell you something, babe. I've been dating this girl. She's white. A white girl? You can't look like you and you're a white girl. It's okay. We hate terrorists.
0: I wonder who that could be. I'm
1: guessing it's a young single Pakistani woman.
0: This is Zubeda. Are you judging Pakistan's next top model?
1: You know how we have arranged marriage in my culture?
0: Oh my God, I'm so stupid.
1: Can you imagine a world in which we end up together?
2: I don't know. Sundance this year had a lot of controversy going. Not controversy, but had a lot of bidding wars going on. That's Mm -hmm. where different films that have come out, we've talked about in the past, they were paid a lot of money. Netflix picked up a lot of films there. Mm -hmm. Um, They almost picked up The Big Sick. Hmm. There was actually a bidding war between Sony, Focus Features, Amazon, and Netflix. Mm -hmm. But actually, the star who you referenced to The Big Sick, Kamail Nanjiani, um, he was saying, I want this to have theatrical distribution. I Mm -hmm. want it guaranteed, which that right there knocked Netflix out of the running. So then, after all was said and done, Amazon paid $12 million, Mm -hmm. For this film, which they are guaranteed, obviously Alan and I saw it in the theater. They do let their films have a theatrical release before yes. it goes straight to online. Uh, Manchester by the Sea was Manchester the by situation. the Sea was another mm-hmm.
1: big one. Mm-hmm. So,
2: this story is about a couple who meet. One's a comedian, the other's a counselor, I believe, mm-hmm. and they have cultural differences. She's her family's from North Carolina, you know. His family is Pakistani. you know, it's the culture clash type thing. Um, but as you can tell in the title, something happens. Someone gets mm-hmm. sick. She goes into a coma. He's forced to then deal with the family relationships, meet her family, and struggle with what does this person really? need should to be them. added
1: to it, and I don't think this spoils anything with the film. It's also compounded by the fact that as she's going into the coma, they had just had a falling out. True. So he's in an awkward position of: True. Am I with her? Am I not with her? Do I meet the family? Do I not meet the family? And then he's also hiding some information from his own family about the relationship. So there's a lot of there's a lot of complicating factors that led to her sickness that makes this film a little more uh, uh, have have a little more complication to it.
2: Right. So you consider that, Alan, your experience with this film. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like Amazon made a wise business decision? Twelve million dollars on the
1: big sick. I can't determine whether $12 million was a wise business decision on this. I have no bearings <laughs> to know how much money you should spend to properly distribute a film. I will say, sure. I, I think it was a good investment. I think this is a fine film. I generally enjoyed it. Uh Oh, I don't think it's as groundbreaking or as um, wildly game changing as a lot of media outlets and reviews are saying it is. Hmm. I think it was a, fine you're using the f word i think it was a fine romantic comedy i enjoyed it i laughed i thought there were some moments that were very very funny i thought there were some moments that were extremely touching i generally really like uh you know Kumal nanjali as as a, as an actor as a, yeah i guess now as a writer because he wrote this right. with his real life wife uh, emily gordon so i like what they did uh, i liked a lot of the supporting performances at the end of but. the movie at the end of the movie it was just a okay yeah that was a that was a nice story that was a good movie but I just you know I see some of the reviews and giving it just saying it change, it's a game changer and romantic comedy and the freshest romantic comedy we've seen in years maybe it is I can't think back to romantic comedies over the last five years to think there's been ones that are any better I just I think this film may be getting a little overhyped but I don't want that to come across like I didn't like this film because I did I did like the film I thought it was good but it did fall right into that same knocked-up uh, Judd Apatow string of films, that same level, 40-year-old virgin. Same idea of it. it's a touching movie that's also funny, but it's also very real. And it worked. It worked really good. I will say I probably enjoyed some of the supporting performances even more than I did the main lead performances. But um, I, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts, though.
2: Well, I clearly like this film a whole lot better than you did. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I, unfortunately, have probably seen way many more romantic comedies than you have.
1: (laughs) That's probably a good assumption.
2: Um, And my wife likes them, Um, (laughs) so we see them. Uh, And typically, I don't like most of them because, A, they are very formulaic, and there's no there's no uniqueness to them. Mm -hmm. And that's what made, that's why I think this is getting a lot of praise. Now, is this the best movie ever made? No. Am I going to say it's the best romantic comedy ever made? No, but what made it stand out and what made it be unique is simply the fact it's based on a true story. True. Is every element in this film true? Probably not because they wanted to make, I've heard an interview with them where it's like their interest was in making a good movie, Yeah. but from more or less, yeah, the stuff, everything in here is more or less True. So that's what separates it from being a typical romantic comedy is those are all just mindless like how can we conveniently have this happen and then have this happen like it's all just machinations to have people break up and have people get back together right. and have them love each other in the end if you yes. have your romantic comedy in happily there so, were definitely
1: no machinations in this film right everything was I felt was very earned and natural and progressed as an interesting story would
2: and so that that's what really has elevated it in my mind. Okay. Now, if if the story had been instead that he was not a stand-up comedian, would I have appreciated it as much? Like, let's say he was just a bank teller. <laughs> no. Then the movie probably would not have been as interesting. It would have still been based on a true story if the main character, Kamal, was really mm. a bank teller. But he's not. He happens to be a stand-up comedian. So that part was interesting about somebody struggling to make it as a stand-up comedian Um, his friends around him are trying to pressure him to do different things to become more successful. I don't know. I just, I really connected to it. I thought it was really good. This, the performances of his family, the Pakistani family who was pressuring him to be very traditional and Mm -hmm. to, um, have like an arranged marriage. I thought that was all fascinating. Although, you know, I've seen stuff like that before the documentary meet the Patels kind Mm -hmm. of exposed me to a lot of those rituals and traditions. So but it was still, I guess, done in an interesting way mm-hmm. and a funny way. So yeah. I found, I found it to be funny. The supporting characters of um, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano, who play the girls' parents, yeah, they were really, uh, really good. I will
1: say they were my favorite performances in the movie. And I've never Total. cared.
2: I've never nothing against Ray Romano. I didn't watch the show that he was yeah. on. Uh, everybody loves Raymond, so I didn't love him because I never saw it. Um, so, mm-hmm. but man. <laughs> Um, he was. He's so good. And Holly, good. Holly
1: Hunter, I always think, is good. I've she always, is. she's always been one of my favorite actresses, and she's really good in this. Those two, yeah, they made the movie for me. If their roles had not been as strong, I would have come out with a much, much more lukewarm reaction to this film. I did like it. Don't get me wrong. I liked it. I just didn't think it quite set the high marks that I think a lot of people are building up for it. But their roles, their performances were worth watching the film for to me. Um, I thought the performances of the of the individual playing, uh, you know, Kamali's parents and family were also really good. Those elements were really strong. Actually, you know where I thought the weakest part of the film was? Exactly. I the weakest part of the film was actually Kamali and Emily's actual relationship. The two of them. Uh-huh. I I had a little hard time buying it at times. Really? I had a little hard time buying that they would be that they felt for each other as much as they did. And then, and I'll, I'll not spoil anything, but when certain things change with her medical condition that their reactions to one another, I just didn't feel like it was quite, I didn't feel like it was quite what really would have happened. I felt like that may have been the one point where they needed it to be a little contrived on the storyline. Hmm. So, you know, their relationship I actually thought was the, I mean, it's still good by all romantic comedy standards. This was good. I'm just saying it was probably the weakest element of the film for me. I much, much more enjoyed all the elements with the two families and hearing in their reaction to what was going on. Yeah. Their, 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 their experiences in dealing with this core issue was really what was fascinating to me and fun to watch.
2: Having watching him go home to his family and the dinner table scenes. Yeah. Some of my favorite in the No, movie. they're great.
1: They're so great. And then, then you've got the scene where, um, Emily's parents, Holly Hunter and, and Ray Romano, go to one of Kamali's nightclub uh, yes. performances, yes. which is also a really good scene. Yes. And the way they kind of acted after they got home from that scene, I just, I just thought it was great. So yeah. those, those family scenes made this film a good, solid, great film for me. Okay. Uh, beyond that, you know, I felt like there were some things that were a little lackluster with it. Um, again, if I look at it in the grand scheme of romantic comedies in the last 10 years, yes, it is definitely one of the better ones they've made for sure. And it's definitely a fun, enjoyable movie and a very heartfelt movie to watch. Um, I, I just, you know, it's just I read the praise on it after I saw the movie. I'm just like, wow, people are just really like saying it's like the best movie of the year. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's it's one of the better movies of the year, absolutely. Best movie of the year? Eh, not really, but that's just me. Hmm. You know, I'm a, you know, the one comment, somebody who went with me to see the movie, I'm not going to embarrass this individual uh, by saying, <laughs> but, you know, somebody I went with, on a date, and if that tells you enough about it, then you can figure out who this is um, <laughs> their concern or complaint about the film was that they they felt like emily the the girl the main girl, was actually really bad to Kamali, like not a very good partner in a lot of situations. I do think there's a case to be made in a few instances of that, and huh. it made the film for me I guess that's where I didn't get the connection as much because I didn't feel like she was very. She she didn't seem to be a very contributing partner to the relationship in a lot of cases. So that just being said, that uh, that impacted the film a little bit. Well, she me.
2: was in a coma.
1: No, I'm talking about outside the coma. <laughs> okay. I understand during the coma okay. she's not contributing <laughs> sure. to the relationship. But really up to the minute she's in the coma and then what happens after the coma situation, I felt like was uh, it didn't really lead me to have a very positive view of their relationship. I got you. Okay. Okay. Uh, there again, it's about as spoiler-free as I can <laughs> possibly get it right now. Sure. But I do think, Chris, it was a good movie. I, I Please don't go on record saying I didn't like the movie. You definitely liked it more than I did, but I did really That's like it. So we're both giving a recommendation on this film.
2: Yeah, it's weird because normally we come in here and at least one of the two movies, not all the two, but it's like I'm kind of down on one of them. These two movies kind of back to, almost back to back. I didn't mm-hmm. see it totally back to back, but almost back to back some of the
1: best movie experiences I've had this year. Well, Chris, I mean, you so, look at the four films we've reviewed in a row. You've been very positive on all four of them. Norman. Oh, was Norman in there? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Norman. Forget Norman. Spider-Man. Uh, I was positive. Spider-Man, on. baby driver, the big sick and yeah. Dunkirk. You're really high on all four movies. Yeah, so that's true. pretty impressive for a summer, a slate of summer. Definitely movies. Definitely for right summer movies. Yeah. Didn't like
2: guardians. Didn't, you know, mm-hmm. but you know,
1: it's yeah. pretty impressive. It is. I like the Big Sick as well. Just you know, I would definitely say yes. If you are a fan of romantic comedies, absolutely yes. Go see this movie; it will be one of the better ones you've seen. Uh, if you like the Judd Apatow films, Knocked Up, Forty Year Old Virgin, uh, even like This Is Forty, or some of those, yes, this is a very good movie in that section of movies. You know, um, if you're looking for Oscar-winning film, which is what a lot of critics are claiming it is. See, if I, you go with that just, big, yeah. th- that big, I'm like okay don't go in with your hopes up that this is going to be like revolutionary filmmaking or anything
2: fortunately yeah, i saw it before i think a lot of the hype or i hadn't heard a
1: lot of the hype yeah. so yeah i avoided a lot of those i mean ray romano is getting early oscar supporting actor which i would be okay with i think probably he's that a good. little early but yeah but i think again that's just that they're playing up these high accolades for a film that i don't think quite hits those heights but it's still a really good film true so that's the big sick um Anything else about that you want to point out? No, I think we got it all. Cool. I, so. I, I will say too, as a side note, any any film that talks about the backstage machinations of being a stand up comedian, I think, are always fascinating. I love it. It's always so much fun. And this movie does a really good job of giving a little better insight to what a stand up comedian's world is like mm-hmm. um, backstage and some of the interactions he has with some of his other fellow comedians. I think are really funny and, and fun to watch. So,
2: yeah, yeah. And yeah, some of the jokes that he tries on her parents and yes. things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just priceless.
1: Well, and then having watched this, and then I also saw the movie Don't Think Twice, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to do as a recommendation because you did as Correct. a recommendation a while back. So I won't repeat it there. But I will say I did enjoy that film as well. That film and this one, if you want to know what it's like it's to be a stand up comedian or improv comedian, Like a a lowly starting out, building up your reputation. These two films, I think, give you a really good insight to what that's like. Agreed. Yeah, it's great. Okay, well, that is The Big Sick. Also, playing in some theaters still, but it's probably going to be out on Amazon, I would assume. Probably, Um, yes. Before too long because of the distribution they they set up for it. And we're both recommending it. Chris is uh, recommending it a little more than me, but uh, that's okay. We're both saying go out and see it. It's worth a watch. So, Chris, let's take a quick little break, and when we come back, we've got a couple movie news items to go through, and then we're going to end the show with a recommendation from each of us of something we think you ought to check out. So, this is Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv, and we'll be right back.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, Music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. Just as a quick reminder, themesh.tv is a podcast network. That means it's a network of shows and programs, mostly audio, some video from time to time that you can subscribe to and actually have delivered to you uh, via your device of choice, laptop, uh, desktop computer, tablet, phone, whatever you may listen to these these programs on. We really encourage you to go check out TheMesh.TV. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H.TV. You can find not only Foot Candle Films, but you can find some other shows on The Mesh Network. There's a button on all the pages to let you just subscribe to a show. If you use Apple iTunes or some other podcast type uh, program, you can subscribe to the show and ensure that every time we release a new episode, you've got it delivered to you right away. And they're all free. There's no charge for podcasting, no charge for our episodes. This is a free service we're providing to help get the word out about what we're doing with not only our candle film society, but also us talking about movies in general. Chris, how about we tell people a little bit more about the Foot Candle Film Festival at the end of the show? Does that sound good to you? Sure. So stay tuned for that. More information on the Foot Candle Film Festival 2017 version. We'll talk about that here at the end of the episode. So, Chris, how about we move into a little bit of movie news for a few items there? I've just okay. got a couple items pulled up. And I'm gonna kind of throw it out there and just drop it on the table and let's see where it goes discussion wise. Um, Are all of them about Justice League? Oh, well, well, all right. Well, let me cross those out. One. <laughs> That's all two, I want to talk about. Just Justice League. Yeah, no, actually, I, nothing about Justice League. Really, okay. I don't want to talk about that movie okay. anymore. They released another trailer. I looked at it. I'm still not the slightest bit interested. So we'll see. Now let's talk about another franchise that may have a little bit more interesting bearings or some goings on. James Bond. Okay. Mr. Bond. Yes. 24 films have been made with his character at this point. Of course, you start with Sean Connery, then you go uh, George Lazenby for a film, then you've got Roger Moore, then you've got Timothy Dalton, then you've got Pierce Brosnan, and then Daniel Craig. So there's been a little bit of activity. In the, Ladies and in the,
2: gentlemen, he did that without looking online. He oh. did that sheerly off the top of his head. I know because you, I was watching him. I pretty have no
1: idea how much James Bond I know about. So, <laughs> um, so there's been some discussions this week about what's going to happen with number 25. Now, technically, technically, this is number 24. But they're counting the Sean Connery revival movie that was done later in life, which is not technically part of the official James Bond canon. It was produced by a separate uh, studio. Hmm. I think it was, uh, I don't remember even the name of it. It had Kim Basinger in it as well. That's technically, they're considering that number 24. I mean, it's not really 24. It's like, they're really, this is going to be the 24th film. Anyway, huh. sorry, interesting little aside there. So Daniel Craig has been making rumors uh, around. I in thought interviews. after the last
2: one he was like, "I'm." No, well, that
1: was the deal. So he was basically said, "I did not want to do it anymore."
2: What was even the name of the last one? I can't even remember. Um,
1: it was uh, uh It wasn't um, Skyfall. Spectre.
2: Spectre. Spectre. That's right. Um,
1: okay. Actually, one of the quotes he gave after Spectre is that he would rather. Um, drive hot nails into his fingers than, than be in a James Bond movie again or something to that effect. So Don't this quote me movie on that.
2: better start out with a terrorist like driving hot nails under his fingers. That would finger. be really fun. That would be amazing.
1: Now we had um, <laughs> The director who did the last two, okay, um, which was Skyfall, which many people feel I, the best the, James Bond movie probably ever made.
2: I may be jaded by the Adele song, which mm-hmm. I really like, but yeah, it was good.
1: It is a good, solid movie, and it got a lot of acclaim. And then Spectre was the follow-up, not as widely regarded, but still a good, solid James yeah, Bond movie, I would agree for sure. The director of those two films was... Do you know? No. Do who I know? Was, what no I, d- I don't oh you know. don't know no <laughs> oh i thought you say we're saying uh, tell like why, I'll, tell why, no, I'll tell you like a french pronunciation i'll tell you what i thought you were gonna say because it feeds into my art story uh, Again, okay. so me back up okay. it was who who did american beauty um oh um oh my gosh imdb help How us out something
2: ball um no no oh
1: my gosh we well, need imdb
2: yeah we do um, um
1: Oh, God, I cannot believe we are drawing a blank on this. <laughs> well, the thing is. He's a really good director. He did Jarhead. He did American Beauty. He did. <sighs>
2: well, prior to that, so he's only done the last two because Mark Webb did some. No, not Mark Webb. Dang, we're just. <laughs> we are,
1: It is the end of the week, people. I'm we are sorry. We're floundering. We're, fl- for we're floundering um skyfall was directed by sam mendes there we go
2: sam mendes yeah sam
1: mendes gotcha sam mendes did the last two okay and widely considered like one of the better directors we've had doing james bond movies sure because these last two made a lot of money right they really want to get sam mendes back and my understanding is he is not coming back to do the next one so he was a two-time but craig is daniel craig is rumored to be coming back for another final film as as james bond so, the reason you made the comment about the little French, you said, Dunu or Dinu. Oh, uh,
2: the Blade Runner dude. Yes. And, because uh, that is Arrival. the person that
1: they are t- talking to right now, Dennis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Villeneuve, yeah. Villeneuve. Okay. Who just came off of Blade Runner 2049, so it hasn't come out yet. Right. So, jury's still out on how that turned out. Uh, but of course, Arrival, Sicario, Enemy, The Prisoners. He's on a good run. And he's a really good director. Yeah. I would love to see a James Bond film directed by Villeneuve. As would I. Okay. So that sounds like there's a chance it could happen. But also, he's supposedly close to starting on a new Dune movie. So there's just a lot of franchises floating around in his his world right now. Uh, You Hmm. got the Blade Runner, which, I mean, let's be honest. If Blade Runner 2049 is really good and makes a lot of money, they're going to make another one. You know it. Probably. Dune. Dune. I'm sure they're making wanting to make a dune movie to make a series of movies.
2: Yeah, it seems like that was kind of their intention all yeah. along, and then the first one didn't work out so well, so they stopped.
1: But yeah, so just kind of interesting to see like what's going to happen there. Now, the other ones that have been mentioned as possible shortlist for uh, directing uh, David McKenzie, who did "Hell or High Water.: That could be kind of interesting.: interesting. Um, and then the other one I'm not familiar with, it's uh, Jan Demange. He did a film in 2014 called "71." Did you ever see that?
2: No, but have heard of it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I have not got a chance to catch up with that. Huh. Christopher Nolan was rumored for a while to be in discussions, but that is off the table now. He is not going to do a James Bond movie. I
2: think after the Batman thing, yeah. I think he would just kind of be done with doing franchises. I, I felt like in a way, you said you feel like Batman, to kind of throw back to Christopher Nolan, Batman Begins was his best one. And I feel like maybe that's the one he was most invested in. And then after that, he's like, "Yeah, I'll do the other Batman movies because I signed up." But it's just giving him money to do something else.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, no. Granted, I thought they were good movies. Oh yeah. Just something wrong with them. They kind of lost a little bit each time they tried to go through another iteration of it. Sure. I would be really happy if it was Villeneuve that did the next James mod movie with Daniel Craig in it because I think Daniel Craig's a good Bond. I, I don't w- think we're ready to see him change out yet. I'd like to see one more film with him in there.
2: I, I yeah, I think he's fine as James Bond. I've never been as big a fan as you are. Yeah, um, I will say that that would get my butt in a seat if Denis Villeneuve was the director of James Bond the next one. That it's just so funny you
1: said that. Like you made that little French <laughs> comment. <laughs> and New, yeah. I thought that's exactly what you were no. saying. I'm like, oh, Chris has already read the no, news. No, 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 it's news to uh, me. Just uh, interesting forecasting there. Okay. Uh, Let me do another piece of news. This also has to do with not a franchise, but kind of a a throwback remake that I'm curious about. Okay. But I also think has a really big chance to be pretty bad. Hmm. Stephen King's It. So this was, you know, for those of you who remember, uh, this was the Pennywise the Clown Mm -hmm. uh, horror movie. It was based on a book. It got turned into a two-night miniseries back on cbs back in the day i totally remember when it came
2: out i tim curry yes tim curry played
1: pennywise and it's really well known for his performance his performance as pennywise was pretty frightening oh yeah but the rest of the movie was kind of garbage i mean you know i think the the first night they did it was the young kids like early in life you know as young kids then like the book it just kind of fast forwards to when they're adults and that was the second night of the miniseries i think the first night was pretty good with the kids. I think the second night turned pretty horrible. And <laughs> all I remember is that Pennywise turned into like a giant spider and there was some, some weird stuff going on there. Well, they're making a new movie. But here's the interesting thing. is This movie is only going to take place, I think, with the kids. So it was just that first storyline. Really? But of course, the idea would be is that that may mean that they make another movie later on. That's the adults. Huh. Well, Which I think is probably the way to go spoiler alert that's
2: kind of i mean if you've read the book or you've seen the miniseries and you know yeah basically pennywise is there and they vanquish him as kids but he comes back around when they're adults so i could see that i could see them setting this up as a sequel well plus if you try to cram that whole
1: storyline into a two-hour movie you're giving kind of short shift on both ends i think so
2: Hmm. um Interesting. I I had not heard that they, so that's confirmed that they're only doing the mm-hmm. early. Huh. Yeah.
1: And, uh, it's rated R and it's coming out soon, right? Uh, gosh, I it's don't definitely know 2017. Yes. So probably
2: around October.
1: I would, <laughs> guess why so. wouldn't you release uh, a horror movie around? Probably October? Probably
2: so. Okay. Um, you yeah, know,
1: they're already doing like cast interviews and they're doing like, you know, a second trailer on it. So it must be pretty getting pretty close. Sure. Um, Interest? I mean, you know, you you like Stephen King's novels. I do. You know, um, any interest in seeing this reboot of this movie?
2: I'll, I'll see it at some point. Will yeah. I run out and see it in the theater? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, will I watch it with all the lights on in the safety of my own home on my laptop? Probably <laughs> when it comes to Netflix. Because I don't go to movies just to be... I don't enjoy watching horror movies. If the only reason to see it is just to be scared, then I'm not going to run out and see it. But because I do know the story, and I think Pennywise... The way he kind of manipulates things, kind of like Freddie would do with dreams mm-hmm. and stuff for the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, it has potential, but I think, unfortunately, I think it's probably just going to be, you know, there to be scary. So I'm interested, but I'll probably wait for a while before well, my, I see it. My
1: thing is, I want it to be different than just a. There's this creepy clown tormenting some young kids because that's easily how they could. Which I'm with afraid this. that's that's all my going to be. I will know. say the design of Pennywise I think is pretty damn frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of got this older Victorian looking costume and just yeah, it's pretty creepy looking. Now, granted, will it be Tim Curry? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, right. performance wise, but
2: who's even playing oh, Pennywise? I don't remember I
1: I had read it at one point, but uh, it's it's okay. slipped me slipped by me at this point. So. Well, I'm interested. But like you, I'm probably going to stand back for a little while and just wait and see how oh, yeah. how it starts to shape up and how it starts to look. I will probably not go to the movie theater to see it because I am a wuss. I, I just don't <laughs> do it. But, you know, I will definitely watch it. If it's if it's supposedly a well-made horror movie, I'll definitely watch it's it when it comes around. kind of a wait and see. A little bit. I hate yeah. to play that card, but... Yeah. With a horror movie remake like this, I kind of feel like you got to. Absolutely. Last thing I'll say before we move on to our uh, recommendations, Chris, uh, and I say this because it's just kind of interesting timing. You and I started the Foot Candle Film Society back in February of 2008. That Mm -hmm. means we're coming up on our 10th anniversary, as you just informed me before this recording. Correct. Coming up in like four or five months. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we technically had a film society a little bit before that date, but it was like a private little club thing. Right. We really opened it up to an open public thing uh, in February of 2008. Right. So we are coming up on our 10-year anniversary of the film society. What was the first film we showed at Uh, the public viewing?
2: Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
1: That's correct. And you know what film is coming up on its 40th anniversary here in the next few months? Ah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. So they are re-releasing Close Encounters of the Third Kind in theaters with a 4K restoration supposedly a high Are they high digitally quality.
2: inserting aliens everywhere? No? Yes, there's going to awesome. be
1: aliens like from the very first scene. <laughs> You'll see all them the around. all the scenes in the household there's now a digitally implanted alien that's now part of their family. Awesome. No, we joke. There there's I don't think there's any tampering in the film at all. I think it's truly just a restoration <laughs> uh, at a higher level. I haven't heard anything about Restored scenes. I haven't heard anything about any digital enhancements. They haven't replaced the guns with walkie-talkies, from what I can tell. (laughs) So, okay, I'm excited because it's one of my favorite films. I'm excited to see it on the big screen again if I get a chance to. Are they um, so? Are
2: they releasing it wide, or is it going to be just? I don't know the
1: the breadth of the release, but um, probably not wide. I don't think it's going to go everywhere, but I I think major cities are going to have it for a while to show. so, yeah, I am just, just want to throw it out there. Nothing really discussion-worthy, just to say, I'm excited. And I think it's an interesting callback as we're celebrating our 10th anniversary, and this was the first film we brought. and wow. showed as a 35-millimeter print here in town. It was great to do. And uh, that was back when our film society was just a little tiny glimmer in right. our eye at the time. So, right, know,
2: yeah. I think there were maybe 20 people at the first show. Maybe,
1: <laughs> counting you and I.
2: Right. <laughs> right. So, so 18 yeah. in the right. end. Yeah.
1: all right well that's our news the last thing we're going to do here before we close out is we do want to share with you our recommendations for the episode so what we do is we scour the internet we scour our film history to look and see what film have we recently caught up with or maybe we're reminded of that you can watch online or find access to that we want to recommend checking out chris what do you have to share with us today
2: so imagine Edgar Wright, who likes to remake movies. He makes different genres, but likes to puts his own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he were to take the zombie idea. He's already done Shaun of the Dead, but he does it again, and he kind of mashes it up with Snowpiercer.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, so So he makes a Korean reboot of a zombie film. All right. So he didn't do that, but there's a film called Train to Busan, which hmm. is a zombie movie, and it takes okay. place in South Korea. All right you know you say zombie movie i don't care i don't really generally gravitate to those types of movies they just bore me train to busan's when i recommend you checking out there's it is does have some zombies in it there is like you know horror aspects in it but there's also a lot of uh political type things going mm. on about how classes are kind of in south korea mm-hmm. um the characters—they do a lot of really good character development. I guess you know people could say Nolan could learn a thing or two from making you care about characters or something. But I—I right. uh, just—it's a movie I hadn't really uh, known a lot about. It's two—it is two hours, so mm-hmm. running time can be kind of long. But um, I'll say too, the thing that stuck with me is there's a little girl who's really good in this film, mm-hmm. and she sings a song at one point, and it's touching, and you're like, oh, okay, and you learn why that song was important. But she sings it again, and the second time she sings it, devastating. So, wow. Um, Train, Train to, to Busan. Train to Busan. It is, uh,
1: I actually caught it on Netflix, but it's available everywhere. So Interesting. No, I, I, I had heard about it just in name only. I just didn't know much about it. So It's on Netflix, you say? Yes. Awesome. Mine, uh, it is being released on iTunes and other places on August 1st. So I think by the time you're listening to this, it'll be, it's technically a few days early now, but August 1st, everybody should be able to listen to this episode. And if you did want to go check this film out, it will be available online. It's one I caught at a film festival earlier in the year and never really had much of a chance to talk about it. It's titled Family Life. That's the English title. It is uh, Vida de Family. It is from Chile. It is uh, Spanish uh, for subtitles for us. And it's a short movie. It's only 80 minutes long. Hmm. It is. Let me just give you the really quick premise of this film. Uh, And it has been several months since I saw it, but I just noticed it's coming out online in the next week. So I thought it'd be a good one to mention. Gotcha. A young man spends a few weeks housekeeping for a relatively distant relative and enjoys taking over the comfort of their lives. Soon he meets a cute neighbor and starts pretending to his own personal benefit. Basically what it is is, yes, there is a gentleman that this couple brings in. There's a distant relative not much is known about him but they do need somebody to come in and help watch their house while they're gone on a very long extended multi-week vacation gotcha he comes in and basically builds his own life <laughs> in their house okay. um, makes up some situations about an ex-wife and trying to explain all the pictures in the house and like all the different things that are there huh. and as he starts to develop a relationship with a young woman in town I will say this. I think it was a really interesting film. I am recommending to check it out if you're just looking for something a little different. Okay. Um, something from a, a, another country. We don't see many films from Chile, so it's kind of nice to see something from another culture. I would just say this, though the ending sucks. Okay. <laughs> it's just the ending's not good to this film. Wow. And actually, okay. if you read the reviews online, anybody on a, like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes, the ones who give it a low rating, Almost all of them mentioned the ending because the ending is very, very unsatisfying. And really? I know you and I have talked about endings of films don't have to be wrapped up and tidied up. Sure. This isn't even that. This is just a it ends and you're just like, really? That's it. That, that's all you're going to give me here at the end. Huh. I will say the journey up to that point is interesting and I think somewhat enjoyable and a little fascinating, too, to kind of think through what this guy is doing with his own life and, and, and the situation he's creating around him. But yeah, you get to the ending. It's like, ah, oh. there, there was like two or three yeah. different ways you could have ended this film to make it really a good ending. And it just dropped the ball. But that being said, I still think it's worth checking out. Just as you can tell in the last few weeks, I'm kind of running dry on really good recommendations to give because <laughs> we've been giving recommendations for like six or seven years now. Yes. And I don't have that many other films I've seen that are really good to talk yeah. about anymore. So I'm kind of digging into some films that maybe have issues. But I'm still going to recommend it because I think there's something of value to watch and to see with it. So that's Family Life. It's available August 1st. Uh, It is from Chile. Um, The director of it, uh, not anyone I'm familiar with, but two directors, Christian Jimenez and Alicia Shearson. And they both also wrote the film. And it's a January 2017 film. So it's just now coming to release for us here in August. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So that's our, uh, 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 your film was trained to pass Yes. My film was family life. And that's our recommendations for this episode. We did our review of Dunkirk, both very positive on Dunkirk, both very positive on the big sick. Again, in both situations, I think Chris may have come out a little more positive on both of those films. Sounds like, but we're both still giving a thumbs up, enthusiastic high score or whatever you want to use as a metric. We talked about uh, James Bond. We talked a little bit about Stephen King, Talked about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So good full show. I think that turned out pretty good. Got a lot of ground covered. Really quick before we go there, do want to let everybody know about the Foot Candle Film Festival for 2017? We have that coming up September 22nd through the 24th of this year. Tickets, by the time you listen to this, are on sale. That's right. FootCandleFilmFestival.com. They went on sale July 31st and the festival is September 22nd. So please go out there if you're interested in joining up with us coming to uh, to our festival for the weekend, uh, whether it's for one show or for the whole weekend, we would love to have you here. Also, if you're coming from out of the area because you've listened to this podcast and you end up coming to the festival, please let us know. Drop us a note. Let us know. We'd love to meet you in person. We have 33 films showing over the course of the weekend, a mixture of short films, feature films, documentaries, narratives, and so on. And uh, probably I'd say a, a third, maybe a half of those films will have – filmmakers here in attendance as well right to talk about their films with our audience afterwards the whole event will be taking place at the drendel auditorium at the salt block which is in hickory north carolina it'll be late september a beautiful time of year to come to western north carolina and hang out with us and we would love to have you there it starts on friday morning goes all the way until sunday night uh, ending with our award ceremony and dinner that sunday evening Chris, anything I'm missing here we need to share with everybody? No,
2: just you had mentioned the website where then can go get tickets. That's the footcandlefilmfestival.com. Also, on the website, of course, there are listings of all the films and they've, the ones that do have trailers, there are trailers there. So
1: you go can get buy all the individual tickets or you can buy a pass for the weekend. And a Absolutely. pass is a good bargain because that way you don't have to pick and choose everything. And just come and see the ones you want to see. Or you can get every individual film for about $5 each. So it'll be a fun weekend. We'll tell you more about it in the weeks to come. But in the meantime, please go out and uh, if you're interested in joining or or traveling for the weekend, come on out and get some tickets and we'd love to see you then. All right. Thanks for listening today. This has been Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.